So when you follow a, a good recipe, you are guaranteed success. If you follow a good recipe, you're always going to have success. This is true, especially when it comes to food. I love cooking, and one thing I love about cooking is that if you just have a solid recipe, you don't have to have crazy skills, you don't have to have the most experience in life, because the recipe says it all, right? If you follow that recipe, then you're going to have good success. Now, of course, when you're talking about the top-tier chefs, there's recipes that you can't uh, reproduce, but... In general, good cooks, they have their secret recipes and they don't give out their recipes easily because they know that anyone can easily follow and copy uh, their hard work, their recipe. And that's why we see that Coca-Cola company, they have kept their drink formula a secret for 135 years. It is still, uh, they say that it's still located in the museum uh, that's in Atlanta. They, they have that safely secured in that place because they don't want to spill their recipe. They say that only at a certain moment in time, only two people in the company, entire company, knows the recipe. That's how hardly they, they guard that recipe, the full recipe. So we see that a right recipe, a good recipe, can lead us directly to success. And this is not just true with food, but it's also true with life. Today's passage, it gives us the perfect not just good, the perfect recipe for success. So I feel like a TED Talk, you know, I'm giving a TED Talk because, you know, that's, that's a talk that we hear all the time. We love success. We want to be uh, good in, in our lives. And some of you might say, well, I'm, I'm too humble, Pastor James. Uh, I, don't, I don't desire success. I'm okay with, uh, with not having that success. But I know deep down inside, every one of us, including myself, we desire success. I mean, if we marry someone, we desire that that marriage is going to work out. No one wishes that marriage is going to end in a bad way. If we have kids, uh, we desire the best for them, although at times this desire can, can lead to unhealthy things. Uh, still, I have yet to met a parent who would wish upon their child, I wish you would fail in life. I wish you, your life would be bad and, and miserable. No one says that. Right? We desire good friendships. We desire good grades. We make sacrifices. We work hard to have a solid, good career. We, we want to be prosperous rather than poor. You know, physically, emotionally, mentally, we want to be healthy rather than sick. So we don't want to lose. We, we you don't want to fail. I mean, if you think that you don't really desire success, just see how you respond when your favorite sports team loses or when you lose a video game or like a game of sports? Are you okay uh, with, with, with the loss, the L? Or do you get upset with a, a pretty meaningless game? That, that shows us how competitive we are. It's because we have this deep desire for success, to do good in everything that we do. We all want our life to be successful. We want our ways to be prosperous. We, we desire what is good. And I want to tell you this morning that that craving that you have in your life the craving that you have for the good stuff, that in itself is not a bad thing. That desire, that craving that you have for success, that's actually a God-given thing because you were created for greatness and, and goodness. Just think about what we talked about last week. When God created mankind, he put people in this perfect world, in this perfect place where there is this perfect peace, God's perfect provision, God's perfect protection, everything is perfect. God's perfect presence is there. That's how God designed things to be. And with all that, we can fulfill God's purpose. 
to spread his glory among the nations. God designed it that way, so we were created for that. Just like, you know, birds were created to fly, just like fish were created for water, we desire success and we desire what is good because deep down inside, that's what we were created for. But we also know that something happens in Genesis 3 when sin messes everything up. And that desire that was there, Satan, he takes that desire and says, okay, you don't need God to achieve all that. You can actually go on your own and, and, and have a good life, have a successful life. That lie that he planted in our hearts is the fact that it's not that the desire is wrong. It's the fact that to achieve that desire, to quench your thirst, you have, don't have to go to God. You can look at yourself. That's the lie that was planted at the fall. So we see that Satan, he twists this desire. His ultimate goal is that we would not embrace and enjoy the life that God given us, the, his plan, plan, his design. Instead, his plan is to make us follow our own desires. But we see also in Genesis 12 that God, he longs for his people to reclaim this life to reclaim all that is good about life, to have true success in life, to have a life that is incredibly good and fruitful. And so now the question becomes, how exactly can we claim this good success in our life? How can we walk in God's promises? If God promises that he's going to restore this type of life, not just in the future, ultimately one day he will do that, just like the garden was perfect, eternal life is going to be perfect. But in the meantime, God also says, I'm going to let you experience this type of life, this reality. I want this to be your everyday life. And the question is, how? How is this possible. If you look at today's text, you see three times a very important command is repeated. Verse 6, 7, and 8. Verse 6, it says this, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, it says, only be strong and very courageous. In verse 9, it says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. So three times, God commands Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why? Well, the text is implying that Joshua at this point is scared to death that there's a lot to worry about, there's a lot to be afraid about. Because we know from the beginning of the text, two times it's mentioned that Moses is dead. He's gone. He's no longer there. And this is a massive moment in the history of God's people because we know that Moses was the one who led God's people out up to this point. You know, the very moment that Israel became a nation, it was through Moses. Moses led God's people out of Egypt. Moses was the one who departed the, the, the Red Sea. He was the one who led the people of Israel for 40 years. The only leader that they, they had was Moses. I mean, we freak out when there's a new president in the office. You know, every four years, things change. And we're like, oh, something's going to happen to our country. We're freaking out that something's going to happen to our lives. Imagine something changing in 40 years. They had the best leader a leader that fears the Lord, a leader that can do miracles. They had this incredible leader, and now he is gone. And they are wondering, what do we do? And it's not just that they lost the leader, but this leader promised that they were going to go into the promised land. Moses himself said, you know, God is going to lead us into the promised land. And the original plan was that Moses would enter into the promised land, but you see down the road along this journey, Moses disobeys God, he, he kind of, you know, doesn't completely um, follow God's direction. So as a consequence, he no longer is able to go into the promised land. And so now he's dead. The very guy who said, okay, we're going to conquer that land. We're into that land. He's 
gone. And the people of Israel are like, what do we do at this point? Well, you might say they have Joshua, Moses' assistant. He's the one who fought battles before. He, he was kind of second in command. But if you look at the book of Numbers and you read the story when Joshua goes into the promised land as a spy, as one of the 12 spies, and returns, and I told you last week that 10 of them said, no, we can't go in, the land is occupied, people are too strong, uh, yeah, we're not going to make it. We are like grasshoppers before them. Joshua and Caleb, he, they return and they say, well, we can go. In, in Numbers 14, in fact, Joshua and Caleb, they stand before the people and they say, you know, if God is with us, he has given us this land. He, if he's with us, there's nothing to be afraid of. We can go into this land. They are telling their people, like, let's go. And you know how the people respond? The Bible says that they were ready to stone Joshua and Caleb. And so as a young leader, like, this is the reality that he's facing. It's not that he lost his mentor, his leader, the person he looked up to. The task that is given to him seems impossible at this point. His leader was not able to fulfill this promise. He's now gone. He has this bad experience in the past where he knows that these people are pretty stubborn and pretty sinful. Like he knows that you know, Moses himself had trouble really rallying the troops to enter into this promised land. And he's thinking, what am I going to do? I'm standing right before the Jordan River. I see the promised land. It's right there. I, can't, I, I know that God has said he's going to give us this land. But the question is, how do I seize it? How do I claim that land? And it's almost like, you know, when you have a piñata. Like a couple of weeks, I know this is kind of an art transition, but a couple of weeks ago, our EM children, as a celebration of, of kind of, you know, their afternoon program uh, for many, many years, uh, Pastor Jeannie, she did such a great job, and Pastor Esther did a, such a great job leading our children, and so we had this big celebration, and what we did was we got a piñata. Now, I don't know about you, but if you think about it, piñata... It's, 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 it's not the most godly thing to do, right? First of all, you're enticing children with candy, like this incredible promise. And then you blindfold, blindfold children so that they can't see. And then you give them a bat so, and you tell them to swing. Use violence, right, to, to fill your promise. Like, no, it's, it's not the most healthiest activity, but what I'm trying to say is this. No, we purchased the piñata and we purchased all the candy in the piñata. And we hang it on the tree. It's there. It's right there. They, the kids can see it. And so what the kids do, did was they took a swing. Each with this plastic bat, they, they took a swing. Didn't open. Like, I mean, the promise was right there. Like, it's not that, that we didn't give them the tree and the promise. The question was, you know, how were they going to claim that, that promise? Um, I'll save the, the end of the story for the rest on another day, but that's kind of the situation um, that, that Joshua is in right now. He can see God's promise. The problem is not, you know, do I know God's promise or not? The question is, how do I seize that? And isn't that the question that we ask every single day? It's not about do we know God's promises, but how do we seize and claim God's promises in our everyday life? God promises that there will be peace in the midst of chaos, and the, we know that. The question is, how do we seize that? God promises that there will be victory over sin in the midst of temptation. The question is, how do we claim that life? God promises that there will be joy in the midst of darkness and sorrow. And the question is, how do we 
claim that. And so for us, it might not be this land, but we all have these promises that we are looking forward to, that we want to pursue. And we have no idea how to claim it and seize it. And that's what this passage is getting to. It's giving us three clear things, the recipe for success. God says, if you just follow this, you're going to be in good shape. Look at verse 2. It says this. In this context, in, in this situation, God tells Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to you, to the people of Israel. So the first thing that you need to do, if you want to walk in good success and you want to receive all of God's promises, the first thing that you have to do is you have to move in faith. You have to move in faith, trusting in the one who is faithful. You have to move in faith, trusting in the one who is faithful. Although Moses is dead, look at the next sentence. God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. He, he's simply my servant. That, that's what God is reminding Joshua, that he just did what I told him to do. Ultimately, I'm the one who's going to fulfill this promise. It wasn't Moses. Moses was just an instrument. He, he, he was my messenger, but behind the scenes, it wasn't that Moses was a great man and an awesome person, but he served a great God. And so what the text is telling us today is Moses is dead, but God is not. That Moses is dead, but God's promise is not dead. His purpose is still alive. And therefore, Joshua, you move forward. Move on in faith. It's okay because although Moses is dead, God, who is faithful, is still alive. I think we can relate to Joshua in many ways. A lot of times we rely on people. We fear people. There are so many significant people in our life that we look up to, and it's okay to have those type of people, but sometimes those people get bigger than God. And when something happens to those people, the people that we love, when, if you know this when you, if you lost a loved one, a, a, lost a person who has been significant in your life. It's terrifying. Like, you don't know what to do. There are times when we look at our past failures, just like Joshua, and we're like, I had a bad experience before. I had a bad experience sharing the gospel before, therefore I'm just not going to do it anymore. No, I had a bad experience really living in faith. Maybe I had a bad experience committing to church, so I'm not going to commit to church anymore. I'm not going to be part of the church anymore. I had a bad experience really with, with um, you know, uh, following Christian values, therefore I'm going to walk away from those. I'm going to be a Christian but follow the values of the world, you know, whether it's people, circumstance, you know, bad past experience, whatever it might be. What God is telling us today is move on in faith because ultimately God is bigger than those people. God is bigger than your circumstances. God is bigger than all your past experiences. Don't live in the past. Move on trusting in the one who's faithful. You know what happens when you live in the past? The previous generation before Joshua, every time something happened in life, they always looked to the past. They were like, oh, Egypt was so good, so much food. Like, I know work was hard, but we had so much to eat. It was, it was fruitful. You know, when you live in the past, number one, you can't remember the past that well. So, like, a lot of times when you think about the past, it's a lot better than what it was actually was. And, and you begin to compare your past, and it makes your present miserable. And when you do that, you begin to complain. And that's exactly how the people, the previous generation, did not enter into the promised land. It's because they lived in the past. They weren't willing to move on. They were, still thought they were slaves. 
not the people of God. And that's exactly why they said we're like grasshoppers before these people. So remember that God is bigger than, than all the people, the circumstances, the situations, and the past experiences in your life. So fear God more than anything. Trust in him. In order to claim his promises, we need to move on in faith. Look at verse 2. It says this, My servant Moses is dead. Now therefore arise and go. Move on over the Jordan. You and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them to the people of Israel. So it says God, he is already prepared the land. He's going to give this land. All you need to do is go claim it. Just like hitting the piñata. Go claim it. That, that, that is yours. Verse 3, it says, Every place that the sole of your foot will trend upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses. So God is not adjusting his plan or his expectations based on his leader or based on the circumstances. He's saying, no, my plan is still the same. My purpose is still the same. My promises are still valid. I'm not changing anything because it never was that it was dependent on you. It was always dependent on me. Therefore, no matter who I'm leading, no matter who's following me, I'm going to fulfill my purposes. You know, 102 times the word land is used just solely in the book of Joshua. And every single time you read the word land, you have to be reminded that you Worship and follow a God who is faithful, a God who remembers his promises. So move on in faith. Don't cling on to the past, but move on in faith in the one who is faithful. Number two, how do we achieve good success in our life? We meditate on God's word day and night. We meditate on God's word day and night. In verse 7 it says this, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law, which is God's word, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. That's, so you meditate, you cling on to God's word, you obey God's word so that, that you may have good success wherever you go. So do you kind of see the process Obeying comes first, and then you'll have good success. Look at verse 8. It's repeated. The book of the law, God's word, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that it's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Notice that clinging onto God's word, meditating on God's word, acting upon God's word, obedience to God's word, that comes before the success. God says, if you want to live a prosperous life, if you want to have good success in your life, and what he's saying, he's not just talking about worldly success. Worldly success we define by all these different Ps, position, power, right, um, popularity, uh, all these um, prosperity, all these different things we define success in our world. But according to God, success is simply you fulfilling the full purpose of God, claiming the life that God designed for you to have. That life that God said, I'm going to give to you. That life that was in Eden, that life that would ultimately be in eternal life. God says, that's the life that I want you to have. And you just imagine you being in Eden, a place where there's no worries, no sorrows, no pain, no, no enemies. I mean, if you have that type of life, wouldn't that be a success? Right? That's the type of life that God is guaranteeing when you meditate on God's word day and night. Notice that it doesn't simply say read God's word for five minutes a day. It says meditate on God's word day and night. And the picture that comes to my mind is, is this. You know, uh, I heard uh, when people go on dates, uh, I don't know, I, I might be guilty for doing this as well. 
If you go to like a sports bar or like a place that has a lot of TVs, right? You sit down with the person that you love. But behind that person, there's a big TV. And your team is on. Like the game is on. And you're having a conversation, but maybe some of the guys can relate to this. Like you're listening, but you're, I mean, like when you're you're carrying on a conversation, but at one point, like, right, the other person asks, Hey, are you tracking with me? Are you, are you listening? You know, did you hear just what I said? What I said? And, I was, and you go like, yeah, 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 I heard, I heard what you said. Uh, but, but what was it again? Right? I, you're there with that person. You're spending time with that person. The only problem is you're not fully there. And the truth is that's how we spend time with God's word a lot of time. Where we have the Bible right here. But behind the Bible, we have all the things that we love. Maybe our, devi- our devices, things to do for work and people. And, and we say that we read God's word, we spend time with God's word, but the truth is we are not really getting anything out of our relationship with God and our relationship with God's word because we're exposed to it, but we're not meditating on it. Like, think about the opposite. Like, what you really want to do when you're watching a game is, like, you don't want anyone to bother you. You, you don't even want to get a... a out of the couch, right? You want everything settled. You want to miss a single second. You want to soak in every moment, every penalty, every touchdown. You want to soak it in. And afterwards, you think about it when you're going to bed. If your team lost, you're like, why did we lose? If your team won, like, yeah, that's right. This is why we won. You're like thinking about it day and night. That's the picture of of meditation. Another picture that is associated with this, this word meditation is actually the Hebrew word for meditation. It's associated with the picture of a cow chewing cud. And you probably know this, a cow has multiple stomachs. And so when a cow eats grass, it's, it kind of chews on it, swallows it, and then afterwards it regurgitates it, uh, and then chews on it a little bit more, and then swallows it again, sends it to the next stomach, and then kind of brings it back up. And, and why does it do that? It's nasty, like sloppy and, and, and smelly. And, and the reason why they do that is like as they're chewing and chewing and chewing and, and they're drooling at the same time, the thing gets so watery. The thing breaks down. It becomes pliable. And so when it's time to really swallow it and digest it, it just easily goes through the throat, the digestive system, and you get to absorb all the goodness that's in the food. And that's the picture that God is giving us when he says, meditate on my word. It's, it's hard at first, but chew on it. Meditate on it. It's okay to, if it gets, it's not the prettiest thing. Like, you spend time with it, you wrestle with it. Uh, over time, the word of God has become soft. It's going to be pliable. It's going to be something that you can digest. And, and now it's going to be part of your life. Speak of God's word. Memorize God's word. Spend time with God's word day and night. And notice that it also says obey God's word time and time again. So if we want to have true success, good success in our life, according to God's plan, we need to move on in faith, following the one who is faithful. We need to meditate on God's word day and night. And the last thing we need to do is this. We need to depend on God's presence. So move on, meditate on. We need to depend on God's presence. Look at Verse 9, it says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This, this is the ultimate promise. Three times, God is reminding Joshua, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. No one's going to be able to stand against you. I'm not sending you alone. I'm not telling you, go and conquer this land. I am going with you. The victory belongs to me. 
all you have to do is stay with me. Stay with my word. Remember my presence, and you will be okay. And that's easier said than done, but remember, last week we said that ultimately in this book, in this story, we are not Joshua. Remember the name Joshua, it means God saves, and in the New Testament, the equivalent of that name is is Jesus. We have a greater Joshua who is strong and courageous. We have a greater Joshua who not only meditates on God's word day and night, he is the word, the eternal word of God. Not only that, in his everyday life, he, he spoke God's word, he meditated on God's word, you know, every thing that he did was according to God's word to the point that even when he was dying on the cross, he, he was quoting scripture. When he was being tempted in the garden, he was quoting scripture. And did you know that all three quotes come, come from the book of Deuteronomy when Jesus kind of, kind of fights over the temptation? Like just like Joshua had to remember the book of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, and cling on to that law. Jesus, he quotes scripture, and through that he is able to overcome temptations. Jesus is the one who was filled with God's presence. The fullness of God was pleasing to dwell in him, says Colossians 1. In John 5, Jesus says, I am working because God, the Father, is working. John 15, 17, Jesus prays, well, I pray that the people here, my disciples, will be, all be one just as I am one with you, Father. That I and me and you and I and this incredible relationship that Jesus has. Jesus didn't have success simply because he was this supernatural human being. He had success because he had the very presence of God. So Jesus is our greater Joshua. He is the strong and courageous one. And so if we want to fulfill God's promises and really have success, just like the people of Israel clinged on to Joshua, the leader, we need to cling on to our leader, Jesus, the greater Joshua. Joshua, he led the people into victory over evil nations. Jesus, he leads us to victory over sin, death, and Satan. Joshua led people to temporary rest. Jesus, he leads people to eternal rest. Joshua was a godly man. Jesus is the God man. And our success solely depends on our relationship with Jesus. So the real question that we need to ask this morning is not that you'll execute all these recipes and follow all this. The real question that you need to ask is this. Are you following the only one who's able to fulfill this recipe of success? which is Jesus Christ. Are you obeying him? Are you following him? Because the people of Israel, their success depended on their faithful following of Jesus. And, and I love how the chapter ends. Just, just go down to verse 16. And when Joshua comes back to the people and he's, he's sharing all that God has told him, and this is how the people of, of God, they respond, verse 16. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your words, whatever, your command, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So, the response is quite simple. We will do what you tell us to do. We will go where you lead us, and we will obey every single word. Is that your relationship with Jesus? Because apart from him, there is no true 
success. No, 2 Corinthians 1.12 says this, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And so let's follow Jesus. Let's, let's go. Let's move on. Let's, let's also meditate on God's word. And, and let's depend on his presence. The very commission that God given us, the great commission, if you think about how it's laid out, God tells his people to go, his disciples to go. And he, and he says, cling on to my word and teach my word all that I've commanded you. And remember at the very end that all authority in heaven is given to me and I'll be with you wherever you go. Our success depends on Jesus, so follow him. Let's pray.